lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And happy Monday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I'm Steve Dace, Aaron McIntyre, and Todd Erzin. They are here as well. If you'd like to join us today, let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And if you're looking for alternatives to those platforms, uh, you can check out Steve Dace on Gab, MeWe, and follow at Steve Dace on Parlor. If you're looking for clips of the show, you can try rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. Uh, we are still being censored by YouTube. Who knows if we ever come back? Frankly, I could care less. All right. That's why you need to subscribe to the show uh, because we don't do a show for unknown, unmentionable, un- un- unidentified social media uh, avocado toast obsessed millennial algorithm engineers. We do the show for you, uh, liberty loving Americans. But you never know. You, may- you never know when they might spill that avocado on their keyboard and censor us from everything. That's why you want to make sure you subscribe, blazetv.com slash dace, so that you don't ever have to worry about get something getting in the way between you and us. You can just get our content directly from us. And if you go to blazetv.com slash dace, you'll get exclusive content there and you'll get a subscription to Blaze TV at a discount at blazetv.com slash days. All right, coming up here on a Monday. Next hour, it is our Monday Town Hall. Facebook gets to ask me anything this week. Todd has selected the questions. I I didn't look at any of the questions. I did see, though, we had quite a bit of response uh, on our Facebook page. So, I mean, you had hundreds upon hundreds of questions, I'm guessing, uh, to go through there. So, I'll be fascinated to see which ones you picked out of such a large pile. There are a lot. Uh, many of them uh, are involving the end is nigh. Uh, and after you sort <laughs> through that, there really isn't that much diversity. Yes. Well, okay. Well, listen, I can't blame you. I mean, um, no man could buy or sell lest he had the vaccine passport. I mean, I can't, I can't blame you for feeling a little apocalyptic these days, given the signs of the times in which we live. All right, so we'll get to that next hour. At the bottom of the hour, we'll talk to our good friend Bob Vanderplatz from The Family Leader. Some early 2024 presidential vetting. He's had some uh, pretty biting commentary, deservedly so, I would say, for Christy Noem recently. He had Mike Pompeo in his office, the former Secretary of State, uh, just last Friday. So we'll find out what he thinks about those two's uh, particular 2024 prospects and more when he joins us at the bottom of the hour. But before we get to all of that, of course, we must begin with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by today in coronavirus history. One year ago today, near the end of the original 15 days to slow the spread, President Trump held a dour White House press conference in the Rose Garden to announce America's misery was just getting started. We will be extending our guidelines to April 30th to slow the spread. We can expect that by June 1st, we will be well on our way to recovery. We think by June 1st, a lot of 
great things will be happening. If putting Mike Pence in charge of the coronavirus task force and thereby unleashing the likes of Fauci and Burks on the American population was Trump's greatest managerial blunder as president, the decision to continue the federal guidance for another 30 days after the original 15 has to be considered his worst singular decision as president. Speaking of Fauci and Burks, they were both back in the news this weekend. Dr. Anthony Fauci says parents should still be very afraid. The children can clearly wind up getting infected. When we talk about what you can do when you're vaccinated, you can certainly have members of a family if the adults are vaccinated and you're in the home with your child. You don't need to wear a mask and you can have physical contact. When the children go out into the community, you want them to continue to wear masks when they're interacting with groups from multiple households. Dr. Deborah Burks, whose guidance in part led to the aforementioned 30-day continuance of the excuse for lockdowns, tried desperately to gaslight us on CNN. The first time we have an excuse, there were about 100,000 deaths that came from that original surge. All of the rest of them, in my mind, could have been mitigated or decreased substantially. Peter Daszak, a member of the World Health Organization-led inquiry into the origins of COVID-19 and an expert on coronaviruses, said the team looked into the theory that the virus originated in an accidental lab leak. He talked about this with Leslie Stahl on 60 Minutes. We met with them, we said, do you audit the lab? And they said, annually? Did you audit it after the outbreak? Yes. Was anything found? No. Do you test your staff? Yes. No. But you're just was... taking their word for it. Well, what else can we do? There's a limit to what you can do. And we went right up to that limit. We asked them tough questions. They weren't vetted in advance. Uh, and the answers they gave, we found to be um, believable. So let's just back up a little bit here. So far in this montage, we've acknowledged the one-year anniversary of President Trump's decision to extend the excuse for lockdowns. We've witnessed a year later Dr. Anthony Fauci warning parents their kids are probably going to die if they play together because they're not vaccinated. We've witnessed yet another brazen attempt at gaslighting from Dr. Deborah Burks, And we've heard the WHO team responsible for investigating the origins of COVID-19 say they just took the Chinese's words that it wasn't a lab leak. And then there's this. A pregnant mother named Deirdre Hairsting was recently removed from a Catholic mask and threatened with arrest for not wearing a mask. This happened in Dallas, Texas, by the way. I was attending the 5 p.m. mass at a local parish, Holy Trinity, here in Dallas on Oak Lawn. And um, in the middle of mass, the priest, uh, Pastor Father Ryan, approached me to notify me that if I did not comply with the mask that he was going to call the police to have me arrested, which he did so. I'm going to put you in handcuffs if you don't stand up. Am I getting arrested? No, not right now. But if you don't listen, you will be. What's the crime? The business, the church does not want you here because. So she's saying, you say, what's the crime? And she says, the church does not want you here. Yes, she also says trespassing. Okay. According to the Washington Post, the Biden administration is quietly working on plans to implement a so-called vaccine passport that would allow Americans to prove they've been vaccinated against the novel coronaviruses as businesses and events attempt to reopen. The so-called vaccination credential initiative includes the Mayo Clinic, Microsoft, and more than 225 other organizations. Moving on, two teenage girls are being charged with murder after they attempted to steal the car of a Pakistani immigrant working as an Uber Eats driver in Washington, D.C. The video of the murder went viral this weekend as the teenagers, who were black, were able to drive 
drive the car while the victim, 66-year-old Muhammad Anwar, was still hanging halfway out. After they had crashed the car and sent Anwar flinging to his instant death, the girls could be heard on the video complaining about how they'd left their cell phones in the car. It's the latest line of recent sadistic crimes involving black teenagers, as the Daily Wire's Matt Walsh points out. In Milwaukee, two black teens, aged 15 and 17, found an Asian woman hanging out in the park before assaulting, raping, and killing her. In Rochester, New York, two black teens, aged 14 and 16, broke into a white man's home and lit him on fire. In completely unrelated news, here's a teacher complaining about the color of Band-Aids. White privilege. Think about it. Whose flesh tone is this? I have brown band-aids in my classroom. I had to special order them. They're twice as much as these and they're hard to find and they're frequently out of stock. But when I hand a brown child a white band-aid, I am literally adding insult to injury, and I refuse to do that in my classroom. On the topic of who could have seen this coming, French philosopher Michel Foucault was allegedly a pedophile rapist who had sex with Arab children while living in Tunisia in the late 1960s. Foucault was a pioneer of so-called woke ideology and critical theory. He passed away in 1984. These allegations regarding pedophilia stem from one of his academic contemporaries, Guy Sorman. So, how did we get here? A new survey by the Barna Group asked churchgoers if they'd ever heard of the Great Commission. 51% of U.S. churchgoers say they'd never heard of the Great Commission, while only 17% said they had and know what it means. 25% said they'd heard of it, but don't know what it means. And finally, where do we go? A GoFundMe page set up to help the jailed pastor of a church in Canada has surpassed $45,000. Pastor James Coates, who pastors Grace Life Church in the Edmonton area, was first arrested in February after the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, or RCMP, repeatedly flagged his church for not abiding by public health orders that capped attendance at 15% capacity. The RCMP later slapped the church with more charges when they continued to hold services while their pastor was imprisoned. After spending over a month in jail, Pastor Coates was released last Monday after having all but one charge dropped against him, the charge of violating gathering size restrictions in Alberta. Coates maintains he wasn't trying to make a point or be a revolutionary. Quote, I realize that's the way society is going to perceive what's happening here, but I'm simply here in obedience to Jesus Christ, and it's my obedience to Christ that has put me at odds with the law. End quote. Coates was back in the pulpit yesterday, and that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's montage brought to you by Home Title Lock, you know, your credit card. Um, company found suspicious charges on your card. That's simple identity theft. It's annoying, but these days they'll often cover it. That The type of fraud you really, though, need to be worried about is home title theft. It's a devastating crime that takes you off your home's title, and you're not covered by your homeowner's insurance or your identity theft programs. That's why you need Home Title Lock. Here's how easy it is for cyber criminals to get to you, the title documents to our homes. Kept online these days. The thieves that go know this. So they forge your signatures on a quick claim deed stating you have sold your home to them. And then they borrow money against your home's equity. They leave you with the debt. You won't know about it often until late payment notices, foreclosure notices, eviction notices arrive. The instant home title lock, though, detects someone tampering with your home's title. 
They will mobilize to shut it down. So let's get you protected today. Go to HomeTitleLock.com, register your address to see if you're already a victim, and enter the code RADIO for 30 free days of protection. Find out if you're already a victim and enter the code RADIO for 30 free days of protection at HomeTitleLock.com. Coming up in the overtime today for Blaze TV subscribers, we're going to get into the case of that Catholic church in Dallas. And... That Barna survey, we actually did something about that survey when it came out about uh, a year before COVID, but it's very prevalent in what is happening here today. We'll connect those dots for you later today in the overtime. If you're a Blaze TV subscriber, all you'll need to do is just go to blazetv.com slash Dace, and we'll record that overtime for you after today's program. And then it'll be uploaded later today for you to watch on demand. If you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber and you'd like to catch it, though, that's where you can go to get a discounted subscription today at blazetv.com slash Dace. As Aaron mentioned, today is the one-year anniversary. We can debate whether or not 15 days to flatten the curve was prudent, was something that you can hold politicians accountable for, given the unprecedented moment we we thought we were standing at potentially in history. If you want to offer that sort of grace, I'm okay with it. But then what cannot be denied is today is the one-year anniversary of the absolute dumbest decision in all of american history the dumbest decision dumbest management decision in all of human history everything that we are arguing about right now vaccine passports um whether or not to just um allow tech oligarchs to ban everybody if you don't agree that men can become women and women can become men everything that is going on right now in this country That's been unleashed by the election of Joe Biden and the spirit of the age forces that he is a front for. All of this, it's Genesis 1. All of it is this decision. 30 days to slow the spread. This was the moment that the Trump White House lost control of the narrative And gave up control of its presidency to the likes of Anthony Fauci and to a lesser degree, Debbie Burks, but especially Anthony Fauci. The absolute dumbest decision. I mean, to hear Trump sit there and say, you know, we got great things coming by June 1st. Who knew he was talking about June 1st, 2021? If we're lucky. If we're lucky. Yes. Thankfully, the antidote to this madness is on the way. Tomorrow, we go to Mount Carmel to confront the false prophet of Baal, Anthony Fauci. The book, Faucian Bargain, the most powerful and dangerous bureaucrat in American history, co-authored by myself and by Todd, releases tomorrow. Unfortunately, for some of you, the only place you're going to be able to buy it is Amazon.com because they control 85% of every book sale in America. And it's the only place we could get to for rush delivery. Uh, We wanted to go through the department stores and everything else. First of all, who knows if Barnes & Noble is going to be open in six months. But that's how long that process takes. We don't have another six months to waste on this. This stuff needs to end now. Therefore, we're putting a weapon of mass destruction into everyone's hands. Also, by taking it directly to market via paperback, we can replenish the inventory much sooner 
when it sells out, something we struggled with with both the nefarious plot and a nefarious carol. Furthermore, we can also charge less. This book's going to retail for about $15 a copy. So buy multiple copies. By doing it this way, we also are making less money on the book ourselves. To get this out into the public, into the jet stream as soon as possible. We're not even sure about the efficacy of the vaccines yet. Now, there is actually some promising news out today. But already, Anthony Fauci is gaslighting you on that as well, claiming that that was all his idea and he made it happen and it was his decision. So, once and for all, I have received, God bless you, I mean, and this is going to happen when you, by some estimates, our audience has grown two to 300% in the last year. And I have received nothing more than requests for links and documentation. And that speaks well of you, by the way, that you want to do the homework yourself. Well, you're about to get it because that's what this is. It's a reference guide. There are more footnotes and citations in this book than actual pages. Every question you've ever asked me over the last year, every link you've ever wanted, every citation you've ever desired, it will all and more and then some all will be in this book. The book is a weapon of mass destruction. It will dispel every falsehood, every lie that we have been told in the last year. And it releases tomorrow. I don't know that I'll do, I know I've not done anything in my career as important as this, and I may never do anything else in my career as important as this work, given what we're currently facing as a country. We were heading to these places already. We had a, we had a spirit of the age already unleashed upon us, or we had unleashed it. But the events of the last year, particularly 30 days to slow the spread. That's when the country was turned over. That was after the Imperial College model was discredited. And so we were turned over to the IHME model from right here in the US of A at the University of Washington, Bill Gates, instead. Everything we are currently enduring stems from that decision. It's time to make it stop. It's time to make it end. But as we've been warning you about on this show for many moons now, it's not going to really end until we make it end. Props to that young woman who made the cops come and get her, who then filmed it, who then made sure it got out to shame that church, which should be ashamed. If I belonged to that church, I'd never step foot in it again. If anybody in this audience does, you should never, ever go back until that priest is removed. Gone. Can I ask again, what happened to Don't Mess With Texas? Right there in Dallas, Texas. Yes. They'd have to arrest me for something worse than just sitting there. Me and that priest would be having words right in the middle. We would testify. Be, we would be learning what does turn the other cheek mean? When is it time to turn the other cheek? And when is it time for the jawbone of an ass? Is that what I hear you yes. saying? Yeah. But it's going to take that level of resolve. She had, she was under control. You know, we've talked, we talked a few months ago about the, the need. We need to recover meekness as a people power under control. 
We don't need, it doesn't constantly need to be a rant and rave. Every now and then a rant and rave is necessary. But consistently doing it just shows you are you have a lack of self-control. Just a polite but firm no. And that's what she did. No. But if, here's another trend we're noticing too. That's what she did. That's what she did. Yeah. That's what she did. That's what she did. We missing a word here? I know we're struggling with our pronouns in, in this day and age, right? Makes me very angry. As they said uh, in, in, the, in the great film, Blazing Saddles. Hey, where are the men at? <laughs> where, where, where are you dudes? You guys are pathetic. How many more women are going to shame you for having more balls than you? I mean, how many of these stories have we had? And they're always women. Has there been one? Well, we have the pastor. Okay, so we have the pastor, but he's not in America. He's in Canada. All right, so where where are the men? Where are the men? Calling the cops. On the women, yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. In Kansas City this weekend at an outdoor soccer tournament, they're all out there wearing masks in 60-degree sunshine outside. That's where they are. I think there is a, I don't even, first of all, let's double back here. I don't even know what to say about what happened to that poor Pakistani man over the weekend. I, I just, I don't even, what do you, what do you even, I, I just, it's just, here's all I can say, death penalty. That That's what I have to say. I say death penalty. And if, if you think teenagers aren't old enough to be held accountable for first-degree murder, but they are old enough to decide for themselves without a parent whether to kill their unborn child or to mutilate themselves via their genitals, you probably also believe a cloth mask from China will protect you from aerosols, okay? Um, I, I mean, just, I, have, I don't know what to say other than death penalty. It's just a... A, 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 a gut-wrenching level of evil. And let me tell you, as somebody who is raising daughters and sons, our friend Jesse Kelly, I saw say this over the weekend on Twitter, but I think he only has boys, right? Doesn't Jesse only have boys? I think that's right. Okay. So, But but even though that that may be his family situation, his observation, I can just tell you from raising both is true. You can, you can raise a boy the right way in the right home and still just uncontrolled the instincts that he is given as a boy at birth. He can find himself in some bad situations, right? It, 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 that's just the, the nature of aggression and testosterone and, um, you know, um, it, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't take a lot of prodding. For a boy to find himself making decisions that just doesn't line up with the way that he's raised or um, valued at home whatsoever. I agree with what Jess, with Jesse's observation. It's the, it's different with girls. That sort of behavior has to really be groomed. 
that level of malevolence on a physical level. I mean, I, I, I watch my daughters and their friends will say things to each other on text that the boys never will. You know why? Because of what I just said a minute ago about boys. I mean, someone's walking out here without some teeth if we keep, if we keep this up, right? So on a, on a relational level, on a verbal level, I've seen, I, I've, I have seen girls can get more malevolent than men. But that level of physical malevolence in females, I, I just don't, I don't believe that's unbridled femininity. I, I, to me, that, that has to be cultured, cured. It's nefarious. That's exactly what it is. I want to alert you to something. I brought it up to Todd and Aaron on Friday. I want to alert you to something that may be a developing trend as we move forward in the COVID battle. I think I said this before on the show. I'm not sure. There is one way. If you go back about a week or so ago when Rand Paul grilled Anthony Fauci over the flat earth and everything he is saying about we, children aren't vectors for the virus. There's no point to your children wearing masks anywhere, but let alone outside to play. They're not vectors to the virus. If they were, then the schools would just be COVID hunting grounds, right? Mm -hmm. But they're not. Why? Because the children aren't vectors for the virus. We have actually known this. And one of the things you'll see in Fauci and Bargain, we've pretty much known everything we, we needed to know since last June. Our friend John Ioannidis over at Stanford University, one of the leading public health experts in the country, it was a March 15th of last year when he wrote his paper, Aaron, his white paper for Stat News, yep. uh, projecting what COVID's actual IFR infection fatality rate would be, and he nailed it. Well, he's out with, he came out with another estimate yesterday. I've, I've, I've posted it. I've tweeted it out. Uh, I didn't just share it on the rest of my socials. I had forgotten to do so. My mistake. But what, what he is finding is that globally, the IFR for COVID-19 is 0 0.015. To put that in perspective, the the... The IFR for flu is 0 0.1. So bad flu? That, so that would put this in a bad pandemic flu. Hmm. Just like Fauci arena. said. Just like Fauci originally said on February 28th of last year in the pages of the New England Journal of Medicine. But the children aren't vectors for the virus. So they don't need to be wearing masks outside. That's just beyond ridiculous and uh, evil. But what Robert Redfield, the former CDC director, said on Friday, I think I said this when Rand and Fauci went at it about a week or so ago. There is a scientific explanation. Because right now we're, we're trying to figure out what are Fauci's motives here. There's a group that thinks it's narcissism, bureaucratic ego. Uh, I think it's malevolence. I think he's a force from below. And I think that is fed fed out through the narcissism and the ego is, is I think the manifestation of that. But regardless, we can debate motivations all we want. There is a non nefarious scientific explanation for what Fauci's premise was to Rand. And if you recall, I, I told you that the reason he kept bringing up new variants when Rand was talking about, I'm already vaccinated. I've already had it. Why am I wearing a mask? Why are we doing these things? This goes against science. Because Rand is right. It does go against established science. 
And Fauci's response to that is, well, the new variants, the new variants. And so his premise is that every time there's a new variant or a mutation, we have to begin this process all over again. It, it becomes March 29th, 2020, all over again as we observe this process out. By the way, do you know when viruses typically stop mutating? Do you, do you know? Like never, um, rarely, okay? So, because they mutate to survive. They're survival mechanisms. But there's a scientific explanation that doesn't involve any level, well, of, of Faucian nefariousness. And it's what Robert Redfield said on Friday, the former CDC director, that he thinks the virus escaped from a Chinese lab. If the virus is synthetic or has been or or was maybe a natural occurrence, but then was engineered or altered further in a Chinese lab and therefore anything that's been synthesized is outside of natural norms. Right. And therefore, yeah, there would be cause for concern of whether the natural laws and precedents that we know of virology, immunology, biology, etc., whether those things apply to something that has been synthetically harnessed, engineered, or originated. I wonder if we may begin to see more of that claim. Now, the problem for Anthony Fauci playing that card is he has a lot of nefarious ties to China and to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So it's very difficult for him to play that card as his rationale because, I mean, that would be an act of treason if you knew this for a year and didn't share it with the American people. But that's something to watch moving forward. We'll come back with more here in a moment. You know, we've been telling you about Rough Greens for a while now here on the show. It is the supplement you probably didn't know your dog needed, but does. That comes in a little powder that you sprinkle over your dog's store-bought food because a lot of the same food that uh, comes out of the store for your pet sterilized just like a lot of the human food is. That's why we buy so many supplements nowadays, the vitamins, minerals, nutrients, uh, pre, probiotics, etc. cetera. Uh, a lot of those things are stripped out or greatly diminished in our foods today for long shelf life, mass production and consumption. Well, the same thing happens to your pet's store-bought food as well. But now they have a supplement too called Rough Greens. Now, you may be wondering though, what if my dog doesn't like this? And our dog, Cap, absolutely loves this, but you know, I don't know if dogs have acquired tastes or not. I'm not one of those. Uh, so here's what we want to do for you. We're going to give you the 14-day Jumpstart bag we've been talking about on the show for so long. We're going to give you the first one for free. All you have to do is, is pay for the shipping, and then we give you the bag for free to find out if your pet will take a liking to it and see if you don't see a difference in your dog's overall health, energy, etc. in two weeks or less. Just go to roughgreens.com. That's all you have to do. R-U-F-F, again, we'll give you that first 14-day Jumpstart bag for free. You just pay for the shipping at roughgreens.com or give them a call at 833-ROUGH-DOG, 833-ROUGH-DOG. All right, let's get to our good friend, Bob Vanderplatz from The Family Leader. It's good to have you back, brother. How are you? I'm doing really well. Good to be back. Congratulations on the book, my friend. 
as I told you guys right before I came in, just order 20 copies myself. Oh, I well, encourage, thank you very much. I encourage everybody watching, order a bunch of copies. Give them out to your friends as well. Thank you very much. It's, you uh, and Todd, congratulations. It, it's uh, it's important work. Uh, and um, it, it's just a, it's a compilation uh, of everything that we have done on this show for the last year. But uh, up to date and updated in real time. A lot of the stuff, I mean, we were still adding in updated information, updated data points up to about, you know, just over a week ago. Mm. Um, and, and as I mentioned at the top, we're uh, bypassing the normal publishing process because it would take six months to get this out to everybody hardcover and all the stores and everything else. Uh, we, 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 we don't have another six months of this to endure. This needs to stop. And so we're just going to go right to paperback so that we can sell it to you uh, quicker uh, and more directly. We can replenish the back order and the stocks uh, in inventory. That's another problem. A lot of books in the last year because a lot of the warehouses for the big publishers are in places like New Jersey and Illinois. Those places were locked down off and on most of last year. So we just want to eliminate all of that. If we do it this way, we can get it to you right away, cheaper, but then also we can replenish the back supply directly as often as we need to as well. So um, we are looking forward to seeing the impact, hopefully, that it has when it comes it's out be huge. tomorrow. I really believe that. Thank you very much, man. So um, let's talk more of the future with you. Sure. All right. Uh, a couple of uh, would-be presidential candidates for 2024. That and, and this is a much delayed vetting process. I mean, we would normally already be having a lot more activity in our state than we are currently seeing, right? But there's the looming specter of whether Trump will run again or not. I thought a month ago the odds were pretty high, but the more and more I read tea leaves, the more and more people I talk to, I'm actually beginning to think he is not going to run again. What are your thoughts? I think you're right. I think he's going to put his uh, base to work to elect candidates in 2022 and hopefully to find the right champion in 2024. I, you know, Is that a for sure thing? Uh, it's never a for sure thing, especially with President Trump. But I believe that's where he is seeing his best value right now to the process. And I think when you see Secretary of State Mike Pompeo coming out here to the state of Iowa, for example, mm -hmm. that's a pretty good tea leave to start reading. I think he would know President Trump about as well as anybody. And he's already out here at least, you know, uh, shaking the trees a little bit to see what fruit is there. All right, so we're going to talk about him and Noam. But since you mentioned him, let's start with him. Sure. All right. So Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State, used to serve in the Congress. Um, what, you know, the first thing you have to do when you come to our state, and, and this is true anywhere. So I, I get emails all the time. People asking me, hey, I'm thinking of running for legislature or city council, school board. What do I need? What do I need to do? The first thing any successful candidate needs to do, whether you're running for president or something local, is you have to identify who your base is and then build that base. Right. That that that's your team of where your true believers, your activists, the people that will multiply your efforts. They'll knock on the doors with you that are in it for the cause. They believe in you as a candidate and the the agenda, the issue items that you're running on. Mm -hmm. You have to build a successful base. And that's why in the past we've seen candidates like Rudy Giuliani have all these huge poll numbers like back in 2008, winning a lot of these name ID contests. But when he actually started campaigning in individual states, he could build no base. And so he just kept trying to move his candidacy further down the, the schedule to find a state where he had a natural base, right? Scott Walker for is another recent example. He couldn't, he came to Iowa despite 
a dramatically impressive resume. Sure. But he could not build a base, right? Mike Pompeo has an impressive resume. But what is his base? I think that's the challenge for him. You know, I think his base, especially after visiting with him, and, and of course, he's not saying, hey, I'm running for president in 2024. What do you think I should do? That that wasn't the conversation. But what he's doing, he's doing that first step of building a relationship, of finding out who do I, who do I need to know. Mm-hmm. But after visiting with him, I would say, Steve, his base will be the evangelical Christian. Uh, he's done a lot for the fight for religious liberty, both as Secretary of State and before that, when he uh, was a congressman and then CIA director, he uh, I think he'd also say that part of his base would be the Trump base. Uh, here's a guy who is part of a lot of historic accomplishments. Uh, one would be in his name on the embassy in Jerusalem. Two would be with the Abraham Accords. Three would be being the first secretary of state that's gone to Judea and Samaria, the West Bank. Uh, he has a little bit of that... Uh, Trump, like, uh, I'm just going to do the right thing and let the chips fall where they may. He may be a little bit more, uh, uh, how would I say that, a little bit more cautious than to reserve than Trump on that. But he still looks like I'm the guy who has a titanium spine who's willing to take on the tough issues. So I think the evangelical base is one. But I was thinking some of that Trump base he'd have to go after as well. What do you think his challenges would be as a candidate? I think his challenges uh, a little bit when you mentioned Scott Walker. Scott Walker came in with an impressive resume. But for a lot of people, when they met Scott Walker, it's kind of like, well, now you're kind of under-delivering. Scott was kind of like, well, what do you want me to do? Versus being this, you know, I'm just going to go on offense right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pompeo's a little bit that same way, a very impressive resume. You take a look at that, this guy's prepared to be president of the United States. And now if his mantra, when he's candid, when he's up on stage, I'm telling you right now, one-on-one, I've interviewed him twice now. Uh, I've visited with him a couple of different times. He's very impressive one-on-one. Can he now on stage deliver that kind of a message that would inspire the broader audience? That's going to be a challenge for him, I think. I think a logical line of criticism, if you're one of the other candidates, and who knows? Maybe sure. maybe Donald Trump ends up endorsing him. I, I don't know. You know, you know me. I'm out. I, even though I'm reading tea leaves, I I'm I would right now if I had to wager, I would wager he will not run again. Uh-huh. Would I be shocked if in the if Aaron broke in here in the next five minutes and said Trump's already announced he's running again? No, I <laughs> don't 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 ever when it get ever ever ever's a strong word, but when it comes to something that Donald Trump may or may not do in the future. Don't ever get dogmatic about one particular uh, one of those options. Yeah, okay? don't go to Vegas and lay down a bunch yeah, of money. Yeah, do not do not get dogmatic on Donald Trump futures bets. Okay, mm-hmm. but if if he doesn't run, then if you're coming out of that administration, whether it's him or Nikki Haley who worked in that administration, I think Pompeo is a, is a different candidate profile and sure. who he wants to appeal to than Nikki Haley does. But if I'm Ron DeSantis or Ted Cruz or any of these other guys that may also run. I mean, the obvious question I'm going to ask is, if you were so vitally important to the Trump administration, why isn't he endorsing your candidacy, right? I mean, sure. that I think is a, is, a, is a consistent challenge you would have to answer. And I think what you're going to do is you have a lot of people in that boat. I mean, Mike Pence. If Mike right. Pence runs, you know, why, if, you, if you were the vice president for four years, why isn't he endorsing your candidacy? Mike right. Pompeo is going to do that same thing. If Ben Carson runs again, that mm-hmm. could be the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, now everybody knows if Ivanka runs, uh, she'll probably get his endorsement. 
Hold on a second. <laughs> I just said that. <laughs> okay. All right, we're back. All right, all right commercial. We're back. That's okay. not even a commercial. Okay. What is that? All right, um, that's that's me tapping out. Okay. Uh, of, of Earth. Um, <laughs> let's let's get to another candidate who has been in the headlines for all of the wrong reasons. And Christy Nome's candidacy may, if if you think it's done or on life support or mortally wounded, it her national aspirations may get determined here in literally any minute. Right. Okay. Because the state of South Dakota, today's the day I believe she has to decide whether she's going to formally veto the uh, uh, men are men and women are women bill for when it comes to youth, uh, it comes to sports. And, uh, I, you know, when I analyzed her reaction responses, and you and I talked about this last week, essentially it comes down to um, we can't possibly successfully oppose woke corporations and institutions like the NCA, and we we have to we, we're going to we're going to do whatever the courts tell us to do. I'm, I, essentially, she's telling the people of South Dakota, whatever a court, if we go into court and lose, I'm going, whatever, no matter how immoral or vile it may be, whatever a court says, I'm going to impose it on you. Well, since she has done this, we've now actually seen a few other Republican governors sure. sign similar piece of legislation. Just during the commercial break, I was sharing with you, the South Dakota legislature returned that legislation back to her by a vote of 67 to 2. That's an ouch, by yeah, the way. Yeah, that, that think the statement is being made there. The statement is being yeah. made. Uh, rejecting her, what is it? Uh, what kind of a veto was did she? Uh, style is style form. and form. Now, for those of you that know what that means, it just means like typos, sentence structure, an incorrect citation, like an yeah. editing. All right. She actually lined out whole sections of the legislation, and so they rejected her veto and st- for style and form to make changes by a vote of 67 to 2 and said, hey, what you are calling a style and form veto, that, that's not what it is. This is unconstitutional. So they put that hot potato overwhelmingly back in her lap. What happens here, do you think? Well, I, I think, obviously, it's a problem for Christine Ohm. Even if she were to sign it now, it's still a problem for Christine Ohm. And the thing it is, I like Christine Ohm. I think she is somebody that our party needs. When I say our party, that conservatives need. Um, I think the, her whole leadership when she's navigating the, the COVID pandemic uh, was really, really good. But this one was really, really bad. And what you would say, Steve, an unforced error. Mm-hmm. And she tried to placate a lot of things, but you talk about reading the tea leaves. She's not reading the environment. She did not read the room. Yeah, I people agree. do yes. not want to bow to the courts. People do not want to bow to the NCAA. And people do not want to say, okay, let's just start trading in things that are foundational to us anymore, especially when it comes to our girls, that boys are boys, girls are go- girls, and everybody should know the difference. And girls should compete against girls, boys against boys. If not, well, let's just have one NCAA tournament. Let's don't have two NCAA tournaments. This was an easy one for her to thread and to be a champion on. Quite frankly, I said in one of my tweets, we need her to be a champion on this issue. So for her placating, whether it be Amazon or NCAA or believing some legal scholar who I don't know who it is because the legal scholars I talked to say she would win in court. This is foundational stuff. Um, it was it was an unforced error. And it's highly unfortunate that she would get out of the gates with a national campaign to run for president, possibly uh, with this on her resume. What did more damage to her, do you think? The veto itself or the way her political team tried to spin it after the fact 
than even calling it conservative cancel culture? Or do yeah, you think they're one in the same? No, I think you, you, you pick whatever one you want. It hurt her. I mean, saying you're blaming the conservatives and saying this is conservative cancel culture. They're now bullying me to do mm-hmm. the right thing. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call that bullying. Uh, her other part about trying to placate it, try to build this coalition on shaky ground, that would hurt her. And the veto, obviously, is gonna that's going to stick. If she signs it, it'll be interesting what her message is if she does end up signing it. Because mm-hmm. I've got to believe there's people around her right now going, listen, uh, we've taken a lot of losses. Do you want to take the ultimate loss on this one as well? What's the next thing in this vetting process? We got about a minute that you're well, looking for. Not just with her. I mean, with more, everybody. With everybody. What are you looking for? Well, first of all, I want to see who's who's starting to show up. Uh, the good news, if you're in the state of Iowa, Iowa's definitely going to be viewed as the early caucus state again. You start looking at people's travel schedules. Uh, Tim Scott's going to be in Des Moines here within the month. And so people are starting to come. I think what is, you and I talked about a shadow primary. Is this a shadow primary until Trump makes up his mind? Mm-hmm. I think people are starting to say, I think I need to get out there. And I think they're reading the tea leaves the way you are. I don't think he's going to run at the end of the day. So I need to start doing what I need to do to build this initially. So they're going to get out here early, and you're going to start seeing people with a new vision for the future. When I surveyed the atmosphere in 2016, I, and this was part of the strategy that I uh, parlayed into my own role in the process is I, I really thought to get a non, I guess we call them back then establishment candidate. We needed somebody who could appeal to what was the emerging Liberty base at the time mm-hmm. with the traditional grassroots. That is, you know, people act like evangelicals are uniquely dominating the Republican grassroots in Iowa when they uniquely dominate the Republican grassroots in most of the country. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, this time around, I think it is someone who can marry the, uh, how about a controlled orneriness of Trump's MAGA populism with that um, with with that traditional conservative base? I think whoever that candidate is will, would eventually emerge as a nominee. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I definitely think so. I think what the nominee is going to be is somebody who says what they're going to do, and then people believe they'll actually follow through and they'll do it. Mm-hmm. That's why I believe Pompeo's got a little bit of a record there, Secretary of State. Like, guys, take a look at this of what we've done to ISIS and to uh, radical Islam in the Middle East and how we've taken a stand uh, with the nation of Israel. So it's going to be, I think you're right, it's going to be that that controlled, but I will do what is the right thing uh, to make this country the best country and the best days are ahead of it. Good stuff, man, as always. Appreciate it. God bless. Thank you. Um, next hour, we are going to do our Facebook Ask Me Anything. And my understanding is, Todd, that we're loaded up with uh, end times questions. We are not, but I could have. Could have. We got How the, how many questions did we... How, how many was it... I, last I saw, we were in the hundreds of comments on that thread, right? It was 350 or okay. something like well, give that. Me, give, us our, give our audience, what, what percentage of them do you think? We're apocalyptic in, in in nature to some degree. Oh, easily 50%. Easily half of them. Yeah. So checking in on the mood of America, or at least this audience. It's sour. Yes, indeed it is. We'll, we'll find out just how sour it is here when we come back with Hour 2 in a moment. Stay tuned.
And we're back with Hour 2 live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Totters and Aaron McIntyre and all of you. Don't forget, tomorrow is the big day. Faucian Bargain, the most powerful and dangerous bureaucrat in America, on sale tomorrow. Get your copy. You're going to have to go through Amazon.com, however because over 80% of all books in America are sold there, and that was the only way that we could get this to you as soon as possible. If we went through the traditional publishing distribution process, you had other options, this would be a six-month process. We don't have six more months of the reign of terror known as Anthony Fauci to endure. We need to end this as soon as possible. So we're going we're to drop a house on this witch. This is the Moab. You've been waiting for, we put it into your hands and it has an impressive endorsement array. I don't know that you'll see another book on the right this year, maybe in the last couple of years that has as impressive a star studded list of, uh, of endorsements as this one does, including several current elected officials. We'll get into more of that and the book tomorrow when it debuts here on the show. And of course, the timing couldn't be more impeccable, given that today is the one-year anniversary of the worst management decision in all of human history. 30 days to slow the spread. Don't forget, you can let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. You can email the show, Steve at SteveDace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. And if you're looking for alternatives to those platforms, look for Steve Dace on Parlor, MeWe, and Gab. And you can also get free clips of this show on rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. Uh, you can't on YouTube. They are censoring us because we tell too much truth for them. So uh, rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. Also, um, let me tell you about Fundrise. You know, in 2021, a truly diversified portfolio needs more than that traditional mix of stocks and bonds and mutual funds. It needs private real estate. Studies have shown that portfolios with an allocation towards private real estate generally deliver a better risk-adjusted ROI with more annual income and lower volatility over the past two decades compared to the track record of performance with everything else. And now with Fundrise, that level of powerful diversification is available to you because they provide access to diversified portfolios of private real estate to all investors with their industry-leading, easy-to-use platform. So whether you're looking to add stable cash flow via dividends or you prefer long-term growth through appreciation, Fundrise makes investing in private real estate as easy as investing in stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. Their team of real estate professionals carefully vets and actively manages all of their real estate projects. And with their easy-to-use website, you can track your portfolio's performance and watch as properties across the country are acquired, improved, and operated via dynamic asset updates. So if you've personally, or if you want to see personally for yourself, 100, what 130,000 investors have already learned about Fundrise. You can use them to build a better portfolio of private real estate. It takes just a few minutes to get started. Go to fundrise.com slash Dace. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E. Fundrise.com slash Dace. Again, that's fundrise.com slash Dace.
All right, let's get to it. It's our Monday Town Hall, and it's time for our Facebook fans to ask me anything. You know what? I put in an ad on Facebook over the weekend for Fauci and Bargain. I just wanted to see what Facebook was going to say. I thought there was no way. And I, I, I spent enough company money that it, I didn't want to go overboard, all right? But I spent enough that it would at least get their attention, Okay. Um, I was surprised they took the ad for the book. Facebook did. So, despite crushing my 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 traffic by about seventy percent in the last four to six months, and and the reason I did that is you know we're obviously going to be promoting the book heavily there starting tomorrow when it comes out. So I kind of wanted to test the waters and see how they were going to behave. So far, so far I guess at least if I give them money anyway. I mean, so far, they're promoting the book for me. So we shall see. All right. So, Todd, you have a look on your face like you want to say something. No, I'm just trying to do four-dimensional chess, thinking along the lines about Fauci is the next to go and has somehow the worm turned on this. And is this a signal that he is, in fact, as open season as you hope he is? I think it is. I I do think it is. I mean, right now on the East Coast, on the Atlantic seaboard right now, and you could include Michigan in that, too. Um, we're seeing the same spring seasonal wave that we saw a, a year ago at this time of COVID. Now, it's not as large in scope, and we're more aware of it than we were at this time a year ago, but you're seeing a seasonal a seasonal surge, early spring surge, and new COVID cases out there. You're hardly hearing anything about it. Hospitalizations are still way down, way in decline, and I, I think we've hit another herd immunity threshold. The Hey, I hate Trump, but I want to get back. I want to go back to it's going to be opening day for the Yanks here at the end of the week. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That, that yeah. herd immunity yeah. threshold. Yeah, yeah. there's there's okay. the, the right herd immunity threshold, and then there's the real herd immunity yes, threshold. Yes, that herd immunity threshold is Trump's gone, orange man bad gone, back to Broadway. And and I, I want to hit my favorite Italian joint tonight. I think we've hit that herd, herd immunity threshold, if you know what I'm saying. All right. Meanwhile, we're arresting moms in Texas. In Texas. Just got to reset that. Yes. So let's get to it. Facebook uh, has the questions. Todd, you chose which ones we will answer. By now, you know the rules. I have not seen any of these. I don't know any of them. Well, we like it when I get hit cold off the top of the off the top of the deck. So, Aaron, you may fire when ready. This first question comes from Samantha Kerner Fett. I love that last name, by the way. Should I answer this question from my employer? Quote, do you plan to receive a vaccination when it becomes available to you? No. Uh, I have to believe you have some form of HIPAA HIPAA law protection uh, along those lines, but no is the answer. You should not answer that question. Regardless of your your thoughts on the vaccine or their efficacy, there's, to me, we got to be nimble here, okay? There's two separate arguments. I understand for, there's one group in the country that that it's all one argument. But we can be smarter than that. There's two separate arguments. One is, are the vaccines safe and effective? And then what's the ratio of effectiveness for your vulnerability to their safety? Okay, that's an informed consent decision every patient should get to make. That's kind of a bedrock of American medicine. All right, informed consent. That's a separate converse for us people that aren't insane that's a separate conversation to the other conversation which is 
you're trying to use this as a vehicle to impose tyranny upon me. And regardless of where you come down on this first issue, on the safety and efficacy of the COVID mRNA vaccines, there should be unanimous view among us. Hell to the no on the, you're not using this as a tool of of, of tyranny. Not going to do it. Because if you don't stop it now, you have to damn the river at its source. If you don't stop it right now, you're going to live in a Black Mirror episode in the next three to five years. The social credit episode. That's where this is going. So you have to say, no, we won't do that. And that's why there's a Second Amendment. No, we're not doing it. Now that, though, is a separate argument from the safety and efficacy of this particular medical treatment. And I think we would be wise to keep those things as separate as we possibly can. Just because one side of the argument will try to link those two things together doesn't mean that we have to do that. They're two separate arguments. There's the safety and efficacy, and then there's the the ratio within those ranges of whether that's a right informed consent decision for you or a loved one or not. That's a medical decision. And then there is the other decision, which is a public policy one, where you want to use this to impose some kind of tyranny on me. And the answer to that is hell to the no. So no, you should not answer that question. Up next, Ryan Nyport asks, are you watching Superman and Lois? And what do you think of the first five episodes? I'm very pleasantly surprised with it so far and enjoying it. I have watched the first four episodes. Um, my son Noah and I have, have have been watching these together, and it's been interesting because a couple times those teenage boys get kind of mouthy uh, to their old man, uh, Kal-El. Oh, no, man. My old man was Superman. I'd probably make sure I was coming correct. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I might be like sending anonymous notes. You know, so but, the kids aren't supers. They have no powers uh, that you know of. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't, okay. Yeah, yeah I, I don't want to spoil it. That's one Fair of the enough. things they're trying to Got figure it. out. Okay, okay, there. That's Same part of the all. subplots they're Same trying to all. figure out. But um, we've kind of enjoyed that aspect of it, you know. And even Noah's like, I don't know, man. That's my pops. I'd be kind of like, how's that? More. You make you feel though. I'd be a little, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I'd be a little more pleased than thank you if that was my pops, all right? But um, I agree with you being pleasantly surprised. Uh, the the show is very well done. It, it's, it's tone and um, uh, presentation is not like any of the other CW superhero shows, and some of them are really good. I, I mean, the first few seasons of Arrow was, was fantastic, and then it kind of just went like a season or two too long and went off the rails. You know, they, they did everything but bring in Brian Bonsall like they did at the end of Family Ties, okay? Um, but the first few years of, of Arrow were phenomenal. I mean, I Flash is one of my favorite shows of the last few years. I, I mean, we, we love that show. Um, but this one is very cinematic in nature. It's like they understood, hey, those characters are important, but if we are really going to do a Superman show here, then it it has to it requires like a a next level layer of gravitas. Does that make sense? And so, I mean, if you liked Man of Steel, and I do, I think Man of Steel is a phenomenal film. Uh, it is very much in that bent. It looks like Man of Steel, as it sounds like Man of Steel. the The soundtrack that goes along with it is very reminiscent of Man of Steel. Um, and 
what's fascinating is uh, it, it's basically Superman trying to raise teenagers in a real world, but it's not cheeky or plucky. It's, it's, you know, it's real life. And him and Lois had made the decision to keep who he is from the children. But now that they're teenagers, he doesn't want to lie to them anymore. Now that they're basically uh, approaching manhood and he wants to tell them the truth, but then decides it's best to get him out of Metropolis and all of the problems and everything with that. And the Daily Planet is going under anyway because it's not a blog. The newspapers are going under, so Clark has been laid off. The mom has passed away, and so she left the farm to Clark. And, you know, it's not like he can't travel back and forth from Smallville to Metropolis and lickety split, right, if he needs to. So they have relocated the family to a small town, the small town of Smallville. And it's it's interesting, too, because the show is very honest and self-aware. It's taken the traditional liberal elite reporter in Lois Lane and put her in the middle of small town, middle America. And she has to, she, she is already beginning to realize, Hey, we've really overlooked these people. We, we stopped caring about their stories. We've just kind of, you know, you're a bunch of rubes and hicks and beneath us and we don't have to cover you or talk about you or treat you objectively anymore. And there's a lot of residual bitterness about journalists and media from the big city that she has to overcome. The the show so far is handling that very well. I'm 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 really impressed with it. I would highly recommend it. It's very pro nuclear family, which again, you can't take for granted in this day and age. Frankly, if it weren't for the quality of the special effects and stuff, you and I, Todd, would probably think we were like watching, like this was a, this, a show from like the mid 80s and they decided, it to Beaver. they decided to marry Superman to the Waltons or something like that, mm-hmm. you know? So hmm. I, I'm really impressed with it. Yeah, I would highly recommend what, so far, you know, week to week, who knows? Maybe next week, you know, uh, Superman needs gender reassignment surgery, who knows, in this day and age in which we live. But so far, I am impressed with it. Up next, Gilchrist asks, Steve, do you know if there's a legal political version of breach of contract that can be used against politicians who refuse to aid or abide by our Constitution? I ask for all of us little people who are penalized if we don't abide by the law. Politicians should be subject to penalties as well. Uh, We have have impeachment. Okay. We have an impeachment process. We have recall processes. We have... Uh, in the case of something really serious, you have treason. Um, but that's the point of elections. Can I get in on this? I know Gail probably didn't mean this to be anything other than what it is it's at face value. If you have the First and Second Amendments, you should never be asking this question. I'm sorry. You should never be asking this I, question. I agree with that, too. But... I've I've talked about this before. I think this question is a good opportunity to reset this. When 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 the country was founded, they weren't formally political parties yet. But essentially, at, when the constitution was being forged, two major groups emerged that were proto versions of political parties in America: the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists. And if I could use, as I have before, if I could use a theological analogy, the Federalists were the Arminians, okay? Um, they were had heavily orthodox views, okay? Um, 
They uh, believed in the holiness and righteousness of God, like Arminians do. But there's a there's a there's a line where the free will of man meets the sovereignty of God in determining the eternal fate of the believer. And so the Constitution was originally, hey, in the Federalist view, was originally, let's just enumerate these 18 powers, and that'll be good enough. And we, 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 we've, we've told each branch what they are and they aren't allowed to do. That, that'll be good enough. Okay? You're anti-Federalist. Now, these are loose analogies, man. I mean, don't like, don't, like you know, um, uh, go start Facebook, Facebook groups based on these observations. I'm just making a loose analogy. The anti-Federalist Federalist were your Calvinists. Okay? So if if the Arminian Federalists understood that if men were angels, they wouldn't need government and that human nature, we everybody agreed human nature was not good, was basically not good. But the anti-Federalist, and I think it was Patrick Henry and some others were in this group, came along and said, that's probably not going to play. We're going to need a little bit more than that. Because it's not just that human nature is fallen, it is totally depraved. So... It's not going to be enough to just lay out 18 enumerated powers for government because it will have a tendency to then immediately want to, well, what do these mean? What's a general welfare clause mean? It'll, it'll have a tendency once the fire is started, as George Washington pointed out, once it's started, if not tended to, government is like a fire, he pointed out. It, it was, it's a tool. It's a necessity. But if not tended to regularly it will blaze out of control so the anti-federalist said we're gonna after now that you guys did a constitution saying what government can do we're gonna need to make a few statements here about what it can't right because just to make a few things clear because the way government works the way human nature works this was their argument the way human nature works is to have is to try to find exceptions to the rule when limitations are placed upon it. And the anti-federalists were like, and by the way, in case you all didn't notice, the, when God introduces his law to the, to, the, to the creation, it's a series of statements of things you can't do. All right? It's not like God's, God's like laying out his enumerated powers. No, he's limiting, limiting the stuff that you can't do. And we need to do that with government. Can't infringe on the right to keep and bear arms. Can't infringe on the right of peaceable assembly. Can't infringe on the freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of religion. Okay? And so this was an impasse between these two groups, and that impasse was settled by the um, the Bill of Rights. That was the compromise that was made to get the anti-federalist on board with the Constitution. And even as concerned as they were, They could not possibly create a system that would overcome the most basic human instinct, complacency. Complacency is the most basic human instinct. The first Adam, when sin enters into the world, what is he doing at that time? Nothing. Yeah, just utter complacency. Just complacency complacency is the most basic human instinct kicking the can down the road there's a famous scene in jewish history one of the one of the greatest king of israel one of the greatest kings of israel hezekiah and at the end of his life he is giving he is now prone to ego and 
It's all about me. And he shows this little upstart band of, of, uh, uh, of emerging imperials known as the Babylonians. He's showing them around like his palace and his trophies and his accomplishments and taking all kinds of credit for what God did through him. And a prophet named Isaiah comes to him and says, hey, you know, because you're taking credit for what God did, you know, those Babylonians that you were, you know, glory hounding here with one day in the future, they're coming back and they're not going to be this, this little plucky band of uh, emerging imperialists. They're going to be the most powerful military, the most powerful empire on the earth. And they're going to conquer the Jewish people partially because of your arrogance. And Hezekiah like doesn't like repent, doesn't say, hey, don't visit upon my children and grandchildren, my laments and mistakes, Shows doesn't seek mercy at all. Instead, his response is, is, is this going to happen under my watch? And the prophet says, no, this is for future generations. He's like, not my problem, man, tapping out. I, did my, I, I ran my race. That's human nature's most basic instinct is complacency. The whole mask battle is really a battle of complacency. It's a cult versus complacency. It's This is the symbol of our religious cult versus your complacency. And frankly, you just don't want the smoke, so we'll just keep putting it on you. The founders fought this, by the way. I mean, how many delegations did they send to Parliament, to King George, to the, to the court of King James, trying to negotiate and go for year, year after year? How many of them? Jefferson went, Franklin went, Adams went, others Complacency is the most basic human instinct. And it's something that happens very at a very young age. We crap our pants. After a while, we cry and cry. If no one changes our diaper, then we just kind of settle in it. Huh? That's just the way things are. Can't do any better. And so the founders could not have framed a constitution that would conquer a spirit of complacency. I mean, I think if they were allowed back from the grave today, the thing that would blow them away more than anything else is how pliant we are, how, how complacent we are, how willing to allow non-government agencies, non-government organizations to rule us. Incumbents get elected 92% of the time in America. I mean, I'm sitting here in Iowa right now with a Methuselah senator and Charles Grassley. Everybody knows his can't-hold-his-jock-strap grandson, who's in the Iowa legislature right now, will eventually take his place. And there won't even be like a real campaign for the seat. We all know this. And there's like like no real uproar about it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's just, well, whatever. I think that would blow them away. That would. The complacency. Because you're dealing with tyrannies right now that are beyond what King George III tried to impose on them 250 years ago. Beyond. And and they they were fighting complacency. And like, this was their last nerve. And we're like way beyond some of those things. You can't, you can't breathe outside on your own. 
your kid can't play outside without being choked out by a cloth mask. I, I mean, dude, that makes the stamp tax and the tea tax look like, you know, a tollway, which we have a lot of those too. <laughs> All right. So I think the complacency is the issue. And that's the answer to your question. We're, we're too complacent. That's why our theme this year is the answer is us. There's only there's there's only one thing that can get us off our ass. Do you know what it is? Us. Us. Yeah. That would be us. Moving on, Melanie Bartold says, "Why should you have to have proof that you have a vaccine to enter a space or participate in an event, but to require proof that you are a biological female or proof that you're a citizen of a state or country is considered out of bounds?" Because of what I just said. Because you will accept it. Because you'll take it. And then when some Republican comes along and says, we're going to do that exact same thing to you, but only three days out of the week. And they were going to do it all seven. I mean, most of us will smear our parents, neighbors, shun our children, divide up a church to go to the wall about having only being anal swabbed three days a week by a coercive tyrannical government is a dramatically more moral choice than having it done to you all seven days of the week. That's why. The answer is us kind of works both ways. <laughs> all right. It's, it's not just necessarily in an empowering way, but a convicting one too, because we'll say yes, because we'll put up with it. That's why. If you believe in the sovereignty of God and you live in a free country, particularly when you're armed, then you have as much tyranny as you are willing to tolerate. That's just the reality. That's it. I don't. I, I don't mean to be flippant. No, but that I, is at, at its core. I could give you a lot bigger process answer. Okay, and and I could go on and on about how the spirit of the age. You, we could expose all of these hypocrisies because the spirit of the age is driven by a desire for just power and control. All those things would be true, but it takes two to tango. A partner. They can't do this dance on their own. They're not the Joker. Joaquin Phoenix is the Joker at the end of the movie, just dancing on the steps by themselves. We're a free people. We're armed. We serve a sovereign God. So we can't be forced into this dance with the devil. We have to willingly comply with it. So the story we'll talk about in the overtime. One woman up against her entire Catholic parish. Why weren't there 10 women? Why weren't there five guys? Why wasn't there one guy? Okay. I mean, that's your answer. Because you'll put up with it. You'll take it. Gordon Smith asks, will the Supreme Court actually allow warrantless searches and seizures of firearms given the Biden administration's acknowledgement of signing an executive order to do so? And will local police follow that illegal order? Um, If I had to guess, the answer on the Supreme Court is no. Um, You know what? Let me rephrase. Not yet. 
little early to push for that one yet. Um, so if I had to guess, you'll get some Mamby Pamby. It won't be like a clearly defined original intent of the of the Second Amendment. Well, I mean, whatever Clarence Thomas writes will be. But for the court as a whole, uh, I think you'll win at that level. But it'll be like what they did with the Masterpiece Cake Shop case a couple of years ago, where they said to Colorado, hey, you can do this to this poor gentleman if you can prove it's for any other reason other than just your disdain for his religious beliefs. But if you can show us that you like his religious beliefs, but just think they're wrong, then by all means, I mean, you can just, you know, assault them if you want. We don't care. That was essentially their argument. Uh, it's too early for that yet. And they haven't lulled you into enough sleep yet. See, you still have enough vinegar that if they come at you straight on like that, lock and load. So they're going to wait, lull you a little bit more, and they're convinced you're more and more asleep, and then they'll spring that on you. And then you'll be like, yeah, I mean, absolutely, I should give you my guns. Hold on, hold on. Can you wait till I put on my fourth mask, though, and then can I give you my guns? I mean, they're going to wait for that. That's the, I mean, that's, they're, that's, they're going to wait you out. Is this encouraging enough yet? No. How's it going so far? I'm sensing a theme. Indeed. And this is the more optimistic version. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. Well, then we'll get to the less optimistic version when we come back. Got a, a, a really cool email about Built Bar from uh, Nick in our audience. Uh, who says, hey, I wanted to write to you about Built Bars. My 10-year-old is a type 1 diabetic. Finding treat-like items for her to eat is really difficult. I mean, I mean, imagine being 10 and like, you know, all the Christmas candy and Halloween and all that kind of stuff. And you just, you just can't indulge in a lot of the, really the, um, one of the trademarks of childhood, you know, uh, is the sweet tooth. Uh, and Nick says, I tried Built Bars after you guys spoke them up. And she loves them. Her blood sugar is quite manageable and does not spike after eating them, which means they are pretty darn healthy to eat after all. Trust me, I've seen what every food item does to blood sugar levels. Um, and Built Bar keeps her safe and in that tight range. So uh, she loves them and would not have found them on my own uh, if it weren't for you guys. So I'm telling everyone in the type one community, about built bars right now kid these kids just want to be normal it's hard for these kiddos so having something that's nutritious but tastes and feels like a candy bar um is a big thing and i completely and totally get it nick thank you very much uh who goes on to say by the way i may be the only guy in america given what i do for a living that read the entire obamacare and dodd frank bills <laughs> yes <laughs> yes yeah you I, I almost hope you are and may God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> yes. Uh, but Nick, I uh, really appreciate that note. And that's just, I mean, we're just, we just love Built Bars, man. It's just, it's a phenomenal product. And it's just something that you, nowadays that you feel like you have to choose between taste and health all the time, but you don't have to do that with Built Bar. All their flavors for over 20. Right now they've got a, a white chocolate raspberry cheesecake flavor. I haven't tried that one yet, but it's because remember when I couldn't get my cookie dough bars, uh, the cookie dough flavors? I have like six boxed of these now, okay? And I'm just like in a cookie dough built bar, you know, 
phase. Like, I'm, I mean, I just, I, I can't get enough of them. They're so good. But over 20 flavors, all of them covered in real chocolate. 15% off your first or next order right now. 160 calories or less, three to five carbs, grams of sugar or less. All right. 15% off at builtbar.com. Just use my last name, Dace. You'll thank me later, I promise. Builtbar.com, B-U-I-L-T. For builtbar.com, use the promo code DACE to get 15% off. All right, let's get back at it. It's our Monday Town Hall. Facebook gets to ask me anything, and Todd teased that the even more depressing questions are on their way. Aaron. We'll go next to Elias T. Garvey, who says, Why are parents allowing their children to wear masks during strenuous physical activity? In school. Because they are bad parents. They're just bad parents. You said you saw high school track teams running in competitions with masks over the weekend. College track teams. Or college track teams. Uh, but also 12, 12 13-year-old yeah, boys just, out on a parent. soccer field it's, outside it's just, playing. It's, it's dangerous to do. It's dangerous. There's a reason we sweat. There's a reason we breathe. Um, you're not vectors for the virus at that age. Uh, and folks, this is over a virus with an IFR of, of, of 0.15%. Okay. Even the WHO who lies about the origins of the virus says asymptomatic people shouldn't be wearing masks, says you shouldn't be exercising and working out in a mask. Okay. It's just, it's just dangerous. And so those are bad parents. I'm sorry. I forgot. Do do you work, parent, do you work for the school and the school board, or do they work for you? I I guess you work for them. They tell you what the policies are going to be. They tell you what will be the the grounds for your child's participation. Okay. So we're back to the complacency. You're fine just getting rolled. Then don't complain. You're not worthy of the title American citizen. And, And by the way, can I just say this again? Even people I like are, are, are repeating this line, okay? We are not a nation of immigrants. We are a nation of citizens, okay? We're not a nation of immigrants. Yes, many of our ancestors came here, immigrated here, but it was to become citizens, not to be forever tethered or tied to the land they left. They came to this one because it was better than where they came from. We're not a nation of immigrants. We're a nation of citizens. Although we may have to amend that to we're a nation of sheeple based on issues like the one we just discussed. Moving on. Ellen Jean McDaniel. What is your belief of the rapture of the church and how do you see it in conjunction with the things that are going on in the world today? Blessings. That was why I included it. That's all. That, that's it. I didn't edit that at all. How's this thing is, going down? Is the return of God Jesus uh, imminent? Hey, man. Blessings. <laughs> Do you have your vaccine passport yet? Blessings. Last, uh, last time we were in Texas, remember, we had, we finally got Glenn and Stu to do a day group with us, right? Okay. And we had a blast, but at the end, they had to come up with a prediction. Do you remember what Glenn's prediction was? Do you uh, remember? Yes. yes. I, I'm, I, wasn't it? All of a sudden, we're just sitting there. Oh. Predictions were like... Hey man, we got to go, Glenn. And he just just burst out. Jesus returns in twenty thirty by twenty thirty five. Yeah. I think that was his prediction, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. So, was that the year? Twenty thirty five. I thought it was. Okay. Um, 
And we're not laughing at you, Ellen, by the way. It was just you. You're, you're clearly nice. I mean, you no. asked the, yeah. the heaviest no, question perfect. possible. But you just ended with blessings. blessings. Yes. 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 Yeah. I just, I just love that. Um, so... My eschatological views are complicated, okay? And they're complicated by the fact that I think I've studied too much on this topic. Years ago at the church we used to belong to, the the pastor was going to do a breakout session for people that could on on Sunday nights who wanted to study eschatology. And he thought it would be a good idea if we had somebody that um, came from uh, amongst our elders who came from a, uh, a the premillennial view, uh, another who came from the amillennial, and another who came from the postmillennial view. Now, I mean, I, this was at a church that I mean, we were one of the youngest members there, so there's a lot of really seasoned saints in this church. The very first week, though, that anything outside the premillennial view was discussed, it. It caused an uproar. Most people had never heard these views. Stop laughing, Catholic. All right. Most people had never heard these views. They gave they gave the they gave their elders that they've known for years what you talking about Willis looks, okay? And um, I mean, it was like they grew horns out of their head. And so after one week, the pastor came in and said, "Listen, we got to stop this." I mean, people are calling me up, emailing us; they're just losing their minds. Okay, because there was so little um, investment in the other views. So, of course, what do you think my reaction to that was? Because all I'd ever done was studied the, that view as well. It was out of the, I read all the Left Behind books. I didn't know what a Schofield Bible was. I didn't know who the Plymouth Brethren were. Okay, but you tell me I shouldn't study something else. The contrarian in me is going to study that in depth. So I did. All right. And so I learned the various origins of these viewpoints, which church uh, fathers and uh, believed and didn't believe in these points, et cetera. Okay. And you learn things, for example, like the word rapture is actually nowhere in any, not in the Latin Vulgate, not in any of the uh, original manuscripts we have. Uh, it comes from a Greek word, uh, harpezo, which means to be caught up in the air. Right, that's where we get the the term rapture. And so you learn all these things when you study these views, okay? And I I then had a hard time subscribing to one particular eschatological view for several years because I became informed on the three major views. And so the three major views are premillennial, okay, meaning that we are before Christ's millennial kingdom, okay. And that things have to occur in order to usher that in. And that's the view that is predominant in the American church. And it became very popular. It was brought here by in England from people from England called the Plymouth Brethren who brought it here in the, I think, early 19th century. And it was adopted um, heavily by the great evangelist D.L. Moody, as in Moody Bible Institute, and the primary Bible that was used by a lot of fundamentalists before we had evangelical Christians, that's what they were known as, um, was called the Schofield Bible. And it was the in, in the Schofield Bible notes, in the notes to the Schofield Bible, it explained Revelation and Daniel and Thessalonians through that lens. And so that's what almost 
all conservative Christians in America have only been exposed to that view. And then within that view, there are, does the rapture take place before the Antichrist in the tribulation, in the middle of it, after, and there's people that are pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, etc. Okay. The other two views, the other view that has been more dominant in the church, because it has its origins in people like Augustine, is the amillennial view, which takes its viewpoint from Jesus's parable of the of the weeds, that the 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 city of man or the city of God, as Augustine put it, but that the 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 weeds and the and the and the crop grow together, right? So the unsaved world and the redeemed world essentially coexist to some degree in tension until the time that Christ returns in the sheep and goat judgment, and then He's the one that separates these two entities. For all of eternity, is that, is that a, yeah? There's a lot more to these. I'm giving you it's 12:47 here, and you you're asking me a question that that 2,000 years of work have been done. So blessings, bear, thank you, <laughs> thank you. All right, and then there's the post millennial view, and this became very popular in Reformed Calvinistic circles um, post Reformation, um, and this was the Puritan view in many cases that that we are. Uh, the church is the instrument of the millennial reign of Christ now. So we're so we're post this, and that when the when the when the commission the great commission is fulfilled, when we have taken the gospel to the ends of the earth, and the church is triumphant in history, when we've taken the gospel to the ends of the earth, that's when then Christ comes back um, uh, for his second uh, for his return. Again, there's a lot of nuances and variations that are smarter than me to these views. All right, but that's the three of them in particular. And for a lot of premillennial Christians, don't sneer at the postmillennial view. You wouldn't be an American if it was not for postmillennialism. Postmillennialism was the eschatology that drove the pilgrims. That's what that's that language is right there in the Mayflower Compact, establishing a kingdom for Christ that they really thought they could conquer culture in the name of 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 the gospel. Right, so doesn't mean you have to agree with it. Did I say that? No. Doesn't mean it's the most orthodox view. I'm not saying that. Just be careful sneering at it, though, because it also did inspire the people that founded this country. So those views are have been prevalent throughout different time periods in history. In the West, we're living in a time period right now where the premillennial view is not just dominant; it's superior. It, it, it has like an Amazon level of 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 of. Uh, almost un- unopposed dominance in the marketplace of ideas. The reason I never totally abandoned the premillennial view, even when I studied other views that, that poked holes in it, and I think I've even said this on the show, or at least to you guys before, mm-hmm. the one thing that I thought the other two views did not adequately answer, I thought they answered a lot of the, cha- and, and I think premillennialism answers some of the inadequacies of the other views too, okay? This is why I'm confused. But the one thing, the one metric raised by the premillennial view that I thought the other two views did not adequately address is the revealing of the man of lawlessness. That there would come, Paul makes it very clear to the people of to the people in Thessalonians. He makes it very clear to them that this individual must be must be unveiled for the this the before the end to come. He makes it clear that and this has not occurred. Which makes it highly unlikely he's talking about something like Nero or Caligula or something. You can certainly make the case that John is talking about some of those things if you believe in 
uh, what's the word I'm thinking? A preterism, if you believe in that. Okay. Um, but Paul makes it very clear this man has not yet been revealed. And I, in my opinion, in my study, I thought the other two views didn't adequately address that. So I've always left the door open for the premillennial view because of that unanswered challenge. Let me say, based on the last year plus we have lived, the door is more open uh, to the premillennial view for me than it was before. It, it certainly feels like you are being conditioned to accept the idea of a, of a, of a universal citizenship. I still had questions January of 2020 how how that could happen in our world by April of that year. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I can see that. Now, now, let's not practice eisegesis and say the events in the world determine Correct. what is orthodoxy. But the way my mind works, I need rationality, not just simple platitudes of faith. My mind needs I need to see is this can I can I envision something like this? Does this make sense? And, and I can see now that I don't have to be a nut job. I once had a guy come up to me in the Charlotte airport with a color-coded rapture chart. True story, okay? I don't have to be that guy to see how these sorts of things could happen in a real world. So that's a long answer that still isn't long enough given the complexity of the question. So let me talk now about real estate agents I trust, all right? Because as challenging as that question was, try going into the real estate market without an agent that you can trust, especially, especially during these unprecedented times. Bing. Thank you. Uh, That's why, hey, where would you go to find that kind of an agent? Well, the name kind of says it all. Just go to the website, realestateagentsitrust.com. This is a company started by Glenn Beck and some of his associates who got tired of dealing with agents who talked a good game, but then did not deliver the promised results. And so they found out, hey, you know what? We got a lot of good agents in this audience around the country that have the same values, credibility, integrity as well. Let's maybe, you know, start referring our audiences to them. And from that effort, it organically grew into something much bigger. So that just about anywhere around the country that you are selling a home or you want to move to, we can probably find you an agent that you can trust on this website, realestateagentsitrust.com. We have about 30 seconds. Does anybody want to add anything to what I just said? I don't think so. You want one more really, really quick question? Sure, sure. Adele Thalos says, will you and Todd be doing book tours slash speaking engagements? We would love to come hear you and meet you. If people want to do that, email me, uh, steve at stevedace.com. You know, a lot of that stuff's been shut down right now because of COVID. But you know what? If, if you provide, I don't care about that. So if you are providing the audience, just email me, steve at stevedace.com, and uh, we can discuss that. All right. We're going to stick around, do the overtime for our Blaze TV subscribers at blazetv.com slash dace. For the rest of you, we'll see you again tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck here on Blaze TV. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.